Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. For those of you that may not have been here last week or may be visiting, we began our Lenten sermon series on the Psalms. And last week we focused on Psalm 1, which really in many ways sets the tone for the book of Psalms, which is part of the wisdom literature in the Bible, a section of scripture that really teaches us about knowing the Lord and then practical living that comes out of that. And Psalm 1 talks about the two ways, the way of wisdom and then, if you will, any other way. And so part of what we did with Psalm 1 and last week was we talked about the various types and strains and genres of psalms that are in the Psalter, the book of Psalms. And what we're doing the rest of Lent is we're actually going to jump around and we're going to take a smattering from different types of psalms. Last week's psalm was from, if you will, the psalms about wisdom, which makes sense because in many ways that's what the book is about, is growing in this personal relationship with the Lord and living it out with your life. But then there are nuances to that. For example, one of the types of psalm is a lament, where you're expressing your sadness to the Lord. The psalm that we're focusing on today is from that section of psalms that is really about praise, a psalm of praise or a psalm of thanksgiving. Or another name for this particular psalm is a psalm of ascent. Because the people that are reciting this psalm, typically, it's during the time when they might be going to the temple and they're going to worship. And they're so excited. And you can tell by this psalm and other psalms like it that they're filled with joy. And so this psalm is said as they're ascending Mount Zion, as they're coming to the temple, because that's where the Lord's presence is. Now, that's what this psalm is about, but before we get to this, I want you to pause just for a moment, and I want you to think to yourself, in your life, in your life, who or what do you praise? In your life, with, with your life, who or what do you praise? Now, Sunday morning you're in church, you're, you're all thinking, oh, well, it's the Lord, of course. Now I want you to think about the rest of your week. You know, sometimes we praise, for example, restaurants or food. Sometimes we praise cars, houses. What a magnificent house. What a great car. You know, part of what we invest our praise in is things. Things around us. Sometimes we invest our praise in people. Think about the people that we praise. Famous people. Wealthy people. People that make wealth for us. 
entertainers. This past week was the Academy Awards. Sports figures. We spread our praise around and we tell other people, oh, you won't believe where I went on vacation or this trip I took. We're praising that situation. That thing. We're elevating, we're lifting it up. And see, I'm not saying any of that is wrong because I think it's appropriate to praise people, if you will, to celebrate aspects of people's lives. And I think it's okay to celebrate the gifts, the blessings that we've been given. But sometimes we're imbalanced with our praise. And we get so sucked in to the things of the world and the people of the world and the worldliness of those people that those begin to get more praise than the Lord. We're so excited about spending time with famous people, with wealthy people. We're so excited to go at these various activities and events where famous people are, where things are that we're drawn to. But then we've got to go to church. And isn't it interesting that sometimes people will even say, you know, Sunday morning I decided to treat myself and sleep in. And have an extra cup of coffee and read the paper and have a nice brunch or lunch. What are they saying? Well, worship's okay when it's convenient, when it's easy. But if you really want to treat yourself, you're going to sleep in. Right? As if worship of the Lord is not the most important thing in your life. Because that's really what's meant to be. That the worship of the Lord is meant to set the tone for the rest of our lives. For how we invest our time and how we invest our energy and how we invest our hearts and our resources and our affections. Again, none of those other things in our lives are bad. But how many people would say during the week if they're employed people, you know, I'm going to treat myself and sleep in today. How many people say that about work? We don't. Why? Oh, I have to be at work. Right? Why? Because we get rewarded if we go to work. As if we don't get rewarded by worshiping the Lord, both in our own personal time with Him, but also in community with Him. That worship is meant to build us up, that it's meant to fill us to overflowing. Because we're seeking out the one who created all that is. The one who can give us all we need. Maybe not all we want, but all we need. I think one reason I'm so charged up about this today is because I write my sermons Tuesday morning. 
Monday evening was the new members class, discovery class, and we happened to be talking about worship. And in that, one of our areas of focus when we talk about worship is Psalm 95. Now listen to Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Do you get the picture? That worship is filled with praise and thanksgiving and joy. That's what it's meant to be. That's why we are supposed to be excited about thinking about being in the Lord's presence. Again, both our own personal quiet time, but also with each other. We can get excited about sports. We can get excited about movies or theater. We can get excited about restaurants. Church, do you get excited about being in the Lord's presence? See, that's why I'm saying sometimes we are so colored by the priorities and values of the world. And then if you get further down in this psalm, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are His also. And it goes through this whole thing about His creating all that is. That He is Lord of creation. All this wonderful beauty around us that we're blessed to enjoy. The beach, the scenery. And if we go to the mountains, the mountains and the majesty of the mountains. And we go more for the experience than for the one behind it. The greatness of creation, the fact that the Lord created you. The fact that He wanted you, He he gifted you this life. And then he offers us salvation. If you heard the words of Jesus, salvation is from the Jews. And what he's basically saying is God revealed himself to Abraham. And the Jews have been entrusted with the revelation of who who God is. The gift of salvation. The message of the Lord. And then Jesus came to fulfill that, which is why that passage ends with, I am he. He's the Lord of creation and he's the Lord of redemption and salvation. That's why the two miracles, the only two miracles that are contained in all four Gospels are the feeding of the 5,000, Lord of over creation and the resurrection, Lord of redemption and salvation. The same picture that's in the Old Testament. The same picture that comes through not just the New Testament, but the mouth of Jesus Christ. And those gifts are for you. Those gifts of creation, those gifts for your life. And the gift and offer of salvation and eternal life. That we also get that picture in the Psalms. And that's why our hearts are meant to be lifted and filled with praise and joy. And joy. Not dour, not bored, joy. And sometimes in spite of what's going on around us. And so, with that in mind, let's talk about Psalm 100. It begins very similarly 
And for those of you that are old-time Episcopalians, these two psalms, Psalm 95 and Psalm 100, are used at the beginning of the morning prayer service. They're the two ways that we are meant to begin worship. This whole notion and idea of singing praise to the Lord, of being joyful as we come into His presence, which is why we start worship by singing a hymn. Once we call people to worship, we sing a hymn. So Psalm 100, we see... Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. The first thing that we become mindful of is that we're here to worship and sing and praise and offer thanksgiving and be joyful in the process. Not because, you know, we just have to buck up and do it, but it's because it's a natural byproduct of seeking and finding the Lord. Again, the discovery class we talk about the word worship, which comes from the old English word, worth-ship. And think about those, again, going back to the things in your life that you consider of worth. Your house, your car, your jewelry, maybe paintings. And we look for most of those things. Not a car, they always depreciate, unless you you got got a model car. But most of those things, we look to gain value in our lives and for us. You know, again, going back to the Christian faith, that's what the Lord's meant to do for us, gain value in our lives. Worth more and more. That He is worth. worth Worth-ship. He is worth everything. We talk about things that are worthwhile in your life. And oftentimes when we're thinking of worthwhile things in our lives, we're talking about activities or events that are going to reward us. Or things that are worthwhile because we're going to invest in them. Do you really invest in your relationship with the Lord? Your time, your life, your energy, your resources for the building of His kingdom. Is he really worthwhile to you? We get so excited about so many things. And yet sometimes our faith just becomes something that is a given, almost mundane. Instead of the focus of our lives. You know, this whole notion and idea of being filled, of being satisfied of having desires in the first place, of love. All of that came from Him. They are His idea. He created us with those capacities. And guess why? So that we would understand the completion, the end of all of those. And that He would be the one to supply that. The fulfillment of our pleasure, our joy, what love looks like, He created that capacity in you for you to experience. And so often, so often we fill that with counterfeit. We think these things, these people, will satisfy us. And yet there's still a void. Because we're missing something. 
And oftentimes what we're missing is His understanding of life, His understanding of love, His filling us up to completion. Another psalm. Psalm 121. Again, a lot of you probably know this psalm. And it's often read at funerals in our tradition. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, when most people hear this psalm, they focus on one aspect. And there's truth to that aspect, but there's something underneath it. Let me tell you what I mean. Psalm 121, when you, when you hear the words, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You're probably thinking about creation. The beauty of the hills, the beauty of the mountains around you. Creation. And how that blesses our lives. But what this is really about, if you understand the context, is it, it's about the idols. Because idolatry that was becoming rampant during this time, they would build altars in the high places. And they would sacrifice to other gods. And so, what the psalmist is writing here is when I consider all the other options that are out there, all the possibilities that are out there for me to worship, for me to give my life to, and we can put it in the context of worldly goods, of wealth, of success, of fame, whatever you want to. My help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. All those other idols pale in comparison. Everything else in the world. God has given us gifts to celebrate. And people to celebrate and enjoy. And the giftedness of people to celebrate and enjoy. And those eyes that are meant to lift up to the Lord oftentimes are drawn to other things. Other people. Other priorities. Instead of to the Lord. So when it comes to worship, and this brings us to the John reading. Worship must involve spirit and truth. That is to say that it's not just about your outward body going through the motions. It's not just about logging time in church or even doing the right things. It's about truth and spirit. That our spirit is engaged, our inner self, the most intimate part of who we are, that gets anchored in the Lord and we seek to worship Him. Do we do that? Truth. There are true things, true people, that God has given to us to guide us in what is of value, character. Integrity. Holiness. But the truth about who God is and what He desires for us and what it means to worship and love Him, we find in His Word. Jesus said, My Word is truth. And He is the Word of God incarnate. His life is truth. 
So if we want to know what it means to worship, what it means to serve, what it means to give ourselves to God in praise and thanksgiving with the whole of our lives, we look to Jesus. And that's why he says to this woman, this Samaritan woman, you worship what you do not know. You Samaritans worship what you do not know because there's so many false ways out there. And you will find it in the world, in culture, that we're deceived by our own flesh, we're deceived by the world, we're deceived by Satan. That seduces us away from true worship, true living, that he has in mind for us. And so the Samaritan woman throws up, well, we're supposed to worship in this place is what we heard. Or, you know, at one point I heard this. And she kept also bringing it back to the physical world. You know, why don't you give me that living water so I don't have to come to this well anymore and draw? And Jesus kept trying to bring her back to the truth. And finally he says, I am he. Because he is the way, the truth, and life. You know, I don't know how many of you saw this in the paper on Tuesday. It was called Keep Calm and Meditate. Let me read to you some excerpts from this. The room was full of hospital executives, managers in lab coats, scrubs, jeans, and sports coats at a Long Beach, California Memorial Medical Center. Now, what's the first thing this article is telling you? The right people buy this. Subtle? Not really. And then we go on to read Oprah, Chopra, and Ariana. Oh, okay. Well, them too. So now we got the real truth going here, okay? If you want to be calm and meditate. Page two. Meditation, primarily a 2,500-year-old form called Mindfulness meditation that emphasizes paying attention to the present moment. Oh, so we're to pay attention to the present moment. And then what? See, I believe we are all called to live in the present. But what that looks like, we need to have an eye on the word of the Lord. And what our goal is, we need to be oriented towards eternity. See how these subtle half-truths creep into this article. I'm not done yet. Meditation could bring us world peace. You know why? Because if we're all just sitting there doing nothing, oh, just wait, it gets better. Practice requiring no particular dogma or path. So what are we hearing now? It doesn't matter how you practice, what you believe. No particular way of doing it. Choose your own. As long as you're calm and you meditate. The practice of mindful meditation, it's mind-blowing. How does that make any sense? If you are mindful, it blows up your mind. 
Reading on. One of the people who brought Buddhist meditation to the United States in the 1970s. This is this woman they're focusing on. You don't have to join anything. It's very private. That means there's no way to evaluate who you are, how you live, what you do, because it's all about my little private world. Truth becomes relative to me. Subjective to me. She was, for a time, a closet meditator. And when we get a little off track, then escort the mind back to the breath. What if you have bad breath? (laughs) Just kidding. I mean, some of the stuff in this, I mean, you can't make this up. When Susie Yaloff Schwartz opened her pristine, white-walled West L.A. meditation studio nearly a year ago, and by the way, she calls herself a spiritual entrepreneur. Tell people what the point is. Show them how to do it. And this will bring you your own inner peace. See, the problem with things like this is it's done by the right people. And we celebrate it because it doesn't threaten anybody because it's all subjective and relative. There's no real truth involved. It's innocuous. And it won't necessarily change your life. Sounds good. But it becomes also all about you, not about the Lord. Not about the Lord transforming you. Not about the Lord infusing you with His Spirit to transform you. That's really what the Lord's goal is for your life, is to be transformed by the power of His Spirit, by His truth, by His love. And you know what happens? You know what the byproduct is? Not that it's a reward. It's a result. It comes naturally. Then we experience this blessing. We are filled with joy. We know this peace that this person is talking about. Not because we're figuring it out. But because God has done it through Jesus Christ. The God who sent His Son to die for you on a cross because He loves you so much. The God who sent His Son to model for you what our life is meant to look like. Amidst the trials and tribulations, even the suffering and persecution of His life, He kept His focus on the Lord. Because He knew what was coming. Resurrection. Life eternal. And that's what He wants for our lives. This joy. It's not just head knowledge. It is an intimate knowledge of His Spirit coming into our heart and life, filling us with the love of Christ and the love for Christ that changes our life. It's transforming knowledge. Your life is not meant to be the same, and it's certainly not meant to reflect the way of the world and the culture. It's meant to change you, to fill you with joy. The joy of believing. And the love of God. And therefore the love of other people that flows out from us. I mean, think about it. If you are filled with love and you are filled with joy, how are you not going to bless those around you? Now, let's go specifically to Psalm 100. 
because I want to point some things out as we slowly draw this to a close. Do you like that? Psalm 3, or Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. Know that the Lord is God. You hear the confidence in that? We're not wondering who He is. We're not wondering what He's like. We're not wondering whether He exists. Know that the Lord is God. That He has made you. That you are His people and a sheep of His pasture. One of the sheep of the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd who lays down His life for you. Out of love for you. That's confidence. Not because we are so good or so perfect or we've earned this. But by His grace. By His gift. Just like the love and the joy, the fruit of the Spirit. That comes from the tree planted by the streams of water that we talked about last week in Psalm 1. Anchored in Him. Nourished by Him. Filled with life from Him. And we can know this. Secondly, verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. When you know the Lord, when you've walked with the Lord, when you're filled with His Spirit, you're not wondering whether He's good. You know He's good. Confidence. Trust in Him for this life and the life to come. doesn't mean it's always easy. But it's always good. You know, I saw an ad in a magazine. And it's about a toe dancer. Any of you know what a toe dancer is? Someone who does ballet and they do it all on their toes. And, and I don't know if any of you have ever seen a toe shoe. My sister used to do this. It has the hard core. And one foot is all bruised and battered, and the other one looks real pretty with a toe shoe on, right? And it says, the journey is hard and joyful. What a great message for us. The journey is sometimes hard, but it's joyful. doesn't mean this life that we're talking about is always easy, especially in the face of a world that would constantly challenge this thought. Self-sacrificial love. Living with truth. Living with righteousness. When there's so many other offers out there. And His steadfast love endures forever. You know, a verse that jumped out to me when I read that was from Hebrews chapter 13. I will never leave you or forsake you. Steadfast love that endures forever. I will never leave you or forsake you. And that's not a new idea to the New Testament. If you read in Deuteronomy chapter 31, toward the end of the time of Moses leading the people out of Egypt, the same words. If you read Joshua chapter 1, as they're entering the promised land, the same words. I will never leave you or forsake you. Because my steadfast love endures forever. A theme that's throughout the Psalms, by the way. And we can have confidence in that. We don't have to waver. We don't have to question. We don't have to doubt. Because the Lord will make it true for your life. 
And you can rest in that love and joy. You know, one of the analogies that's often drawn in Scripture to this relationship with the Lord that we're talking about is the analogy of a marriage. And see, part of the problem today is we don't trust that because so many marriages have failed and so many families have been broken. But the analogy is a good one. Because when we see a marriage that has lasted for decades and we see people still in love, it blesses us. I've been married to Meredith for over 35 years. And I know this might surprise you. I'm not perfect. (laughs) Might surprise some of you. And therefore, I'm not always easy to live with or love. And you know, part of where I've learned about unconditional love is through Meredith. You've got two imperfect people that sometimes have to work to make it work. But is it worth it? It's worth it. You know, when it comes to my relationship with the Lord, He's the bridegroom and I'm the bride. You only have one unperfect person, and it ain't Him. He's done the work on the cross to demonstrate his love. And he sent his spirit to fill us and change us and cause us to overflow with his love and joy. And he invites us to trust him. He invites us into this marriage that's a gift. To bless us to overflowing with his love and his joy. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And his steadfast love endures forever. That's his offer for you. Please bow with me in prayer. We've come to worship today. But what is he really worth to me? Do I trust him? Do I love him? And do I long to worship him? Lord, I thank you for the depth of your love for us, that you created us, that you've given to us your creation to be stewards. That you've blessed us in so many ways with so many gifts of things and people. And yet, Lord, sometimes we take this gift, this privilege of worship, and we take it lightly or superficially. Lord, I pray this day that you would call us to yourself, or in some cases, call us back to yourself. to come and worship you, to experience the outpouring of your spirit, the filling, the overflowing love that causes us to live lives of praise and thanksgiving and lives filled with joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.